God wants to center his people around his forgiving heart. That's right. That's exactly right. right. And the way he accomplishes forgiveness is through self-substitution. That's right. And it's like, that's what he does through Jesus. That's is, right. He's like, can I show you my people how much I want to forgive you? How much I love you? Yeah. I'm going to come and sacrifice myself. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our look at the book of Chronicles today. We did kind of an overview on the last episode, and now we're going to jump into, I think, David's rise up to uh, Solomon's reign. reign. That's right. Okay, Seth, That's like, right. how are you feeling about this part of the book Chronicles? Uh, great. Uh, <laughs> great! It's <laughs> it the best part of the story. Uh, oh, I mean, yes, it yeah. is definitely categorically. It's the, the best, best part of the story from a from a from a feels standpoint. From a feels, yeah, it's, it's a happy, like it's all a happy up part. and to the right, yeah, uh, all the way till Solomon. Uh, this is the this is the part of Chronicles that you want your stock portfolio to look like. Yeah, up until right. that's right, <laughs> that's right. I have so many I know stocks. so much about that. I have so many stocks. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. But um, uh, okay, last episode we talked about how the book of Chronicles is about the need for God's king from the line of David mm -hmm. to center Israel around God's priests. That's right. Uh, in order there, that there might be peace on every side. That's right. And the thing that was helpful about the priests was that it wasn't just priests operating in a temple. It was We were looking past that to their two core functions, yes. which was communicating the words of God through prophetic singing, which pops yeah. up a bunch in the yeah. book and offering forgiveness of sins through sacrifice. That's right. And uh, we looked at all of this because this is speaking directly to the recipients of Chronicles. They were rebuilding Israel yes. after the exile. Right. And they're looking to their past for lessons about how to build their country in the future. Right. Because they might have been doubting the legitimacy of the line of David and the need for the temple. And yep. so this book is reinforcing those things. That's right. Okay. And we saw how Jesus was the new king from the line of David who makes us a kingdom of priests, bringing peace on every side throughout all yeah. the world. Yeah. Okay. Is that a good summation of I think where we've you, been? I think you nailed it. Besides I the awesome chiasm genealogy thing you did. Oh, if you yeah. missed that, you got to yeah, go you back. Should, you should just go that back That was anyway. cool. But, um, uh, okay. But today we're moving out of chapter nine into chapter 10 and the whole story of David rising to power. Okay, what do we need to know to step into um, the story? I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the next part of the story, right? With Saul committing suicide, isn't that's that right? Okay, yeah, so, so Saul, the after the genealogies and you're breathing heavy from just reading a lot of names, one after the other, you're thrown into the middle of a battle in which Saul is losing to the Philistines. Mm -hmm. An arrow pierces him basically fatally yeah. and then he starts bleeding out. Before he bleeds out, he commits suicide. And then we're told in verse... 13 of chapter 10, Saul died for his breach of faith or his mm. lack of faithfulness. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the commands of the Lord and also consulted a medium in seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Yep. Therefore, he put him to death. Yeah. And so this shows us the anti-example of what Israel is not to do right. as it rebuilds its kingdom. 
if they don't listen to God, their kingdom will self-destruct. Right. Just like Saul did. Yeah. Saul did not listen to the voice of God. And so right. it led to ruin. That's right. Okay. So, and now David's going to rise to power and we're going to see throughout David's life, how he responds to the voice of God and how this builds a successful kingdom yeah. for Solomon to inherit. Let me ask one question before we jump into that, because I think like listening to the voice of God yeah. or seeking God for guidance, mm -hmm. we'll probably have like a bunch of different versions of what that looks like in our heads. Okay. Is there any controlling image or idea we should have in our minds when we think about what does it mean to listen to the voice of God in Chronicles? What does it mean to seek his guidance? Uh, obviously, it can mean a whole bunch of things, but what does Chronicles specifically direct our attention toward understanding that idea? Okay, I think there's the most general way to think about it. It is obeying God's commands as recorded in the Torah. So okay. to fail to listen to God is yep. to fail to obey the commands as described in the first five books of the Bible and yeah, on. That makes sense. So that's one way to fail to listen to God because he spoke. He wrote those words down with his yeah. finger on the Ten Commandments. The other way to fail to listen to God is to not ask what to do when it relates to actions in the kingdom. Mm. And so when you're talking about kings and kingship, you're primarily talking about how to engage in conflict with other nations. Mm. And so most often that's warfare. And so to fail to ask God how to conduct war brings about a, a military loss. Mm. That's one way to, to say it. And so you have that, in that example, I, I bring up that example because that's one of the most common ways kings fail to consult God. Okay. Kings are concerned with statecraft. Yeah. And so they frequently fail to consult God in their statecraft. Mm. They fail to consult God in military victories. And when they fail to consult God in military victories, what happens? They lose those military okay. And we see that on the backside of Chronicles 2. We see it. Yeah. Chapter 14, we see it. Uh, the Philistines like make a raid in chapter 14. And then David asks, inquires mm -hmm. of God, same right. word. Shall I go up against the Philistines? And will you give them into my hand? Right. And God says, Yes, I will. Here's okay. how you do it. Yep. Um, and over and over again, that pattern kind of plays out. Okay. And then do we see anything on the other side of the chiasm in Chronicles of kings going out for war, not asking? That's exactly, yes. And they fail. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to see an example of that in David's life in just a second as well. Okay. One question then about that is obviously guidance, seeking God's will for how to lead the kingdom can't just be about statecraft and war because... You know, the idealized picture at the top of the mountain is Solomon and peace. Yeah. Where they're, you're hopefully not fighting wars during peacetime. That's right. So is there an ideal that listening to God's voice is leading towards? And then once you've reached that ideal, does the guidance stop being necessary? How does Solomon fit the paradigm is my question. Uh, uh, how does he listen to God's voice? Because he doesn't go out for war, you said last That's episode. right, yeah. He uh, listens to God's voice differently. Okay. And it's in the very first chapter that we're introduced to him in Second Chronicles chapter 1. He asked God for wisdom. Right. That is God's guidance, right? Like yeah. the first thing he does in his reign, he is he asks God, he inquires of God mm -hmm. how to lead a nation. That's what he asked for. He's yep. like, I don't, I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced right. to know how to lead a country that my father prepared for me. So give me guidance to lead these people well. Mm. He's, at, he's inquiring of God and then God gives him the information and the wisdom and the discernment needed to be a good judge, to be a good philosopher, to be a good teacher. Yeah for a nation in peacetime. And then he doesn't go out to war. And he doesn't go out to war. So yeah, it's interesting. Right. It's like God clearly doesn't say to him, go well, keep keep conquering. Right. Keep so up you're, the you're, military imperialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. like guidance doesn't have to be directly tied to military, but right. I think maybe the, the stronger thing to say is 
in the place where kings fail mm -hmm. to ask God for guidance is the place in which they will experience defeat. Mm -hmm. And so that's regardless of what battlefield, what battle, battlefield that, yeah. Yeah, that is, but primarily and on, and Solomon's kind of in a privileged position. His right. father's the one who conquered them. Yeah. And these were sanctioned by God. These victories were sanctioned. God gave him his spirit to do so. And right. he lives in a time of peace. Yep. Well, that peace is not necessarily guaranteed through all Solomon's reign. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there is peace is significant because it points towards the type of kingdom God expects for his kings. Okay. Kingdom, the world bows, not yeah. in warfare, but okay. in deference to the wisdom so the reason God. that that Saul failed in the opening story of mm -hmm. the book is because he failed to seek God's guidance. That's right. Okay. That's right. And now the opposite we're going to see is David and how he carries out his rise to power. That's right. Okay. Well, so, I, I'm on. So I'm on, first I'm king on. of Israel fails to listen to God's guidance. He's dealt with in like 12 verses, 13 verses. He's okay. out of the picture. Got it. And David comes on the scene. And the first thing that happens with David is that he's anointed and then he takes the capital city of Jerusalem. So up until this time, Israel had been a divided nation. It had been a scattered group of tribes mm. in a general area. They had never had real centralized leadership before. Mm -hmm. They had started to ask for a king. They started to ask for centralized leadership in Saul, but Saul was unable to provide it. He was unable to unite all Israel. And this because you had the land allotments in Joshua and mm -hmm. people, every tribe had their own area and they were kind of governed by judges for a period. Yep. And those were localized judges, not national judges. And they That's were like, right. we want to be like the other nations, give us a king. Centralize all that. Yes. Okay, great. And so Saul failed to centralize. He failed to mm -hmm. unite all Israel. But David, as soon as he's anointed, all of Israel comes to him and basically throws their flags under his leadership and says, wow. We will follow you whatever you in whatever exploits you do. Mm. And the first thing he does is he establishes a capital for a new nation. Mm. This is like an innovation for right. Israel. Like they've never had a capital city before, not yeah. like this. They now have a military center, a governmental center, and a nation for the mm. first time. In a sense, they've never had this before. It's so, Hamilton all over again. It's Hamilton all over again. <laughs> if, you may, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back to the last episode. <laughs> and then the first thing we're told that after we David establishes a capital is he builds an army full of like mighty men mm. and i don't need to have any like bad radar on for this happening uh no okay no because i know other times there, there are times that the bible sets you up for the amassing of an army the gathering of chariots that's as right. a bad thing yes as like oh they're becoming egypt or they're becoming babylon In verse chronicles the mighty men that mm -hmm. keep coming around david the army that keeps coming around him are actually from all the tribes of Israel. So all the scattered tribes are sending their best warriors mm. to David. And it's a symbol that he is able to unite Israel for the first time in a way that Saul never could. Mm -hmm. Saul failed to be the type of king who could unite Israel yeah. under one national identity following God's guidance. Right. And so as David follows God's guidance, all of Israel begins to follow him. And so this is just like a key principle of leadership. If you're a new leader in a new uh, a new Israel rebuilding itself, it's like how are you going to unite all these scattered people who have a whole bunch of different opinions about how our kingdom should be run? Well, new leader in this reconstructing Israel, mm. follow God's guidance. And what happened to David? The tribes came into alignment with David as he followed God's guidance. I see. So the point isn't look at the tribes. They're unifying. Uni unity of Israel is the point. It's a fruit of listening to God's voice and guidance. That's right. Okay. That's Understood. right. It's a stamp of approval that 
this guy's listening to God's voice. Look, the impossible has been made possible. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's right. So he establishes a capital, garners and, and unifies all of Israel around himself, mm-hmm. and establishes a military of mighty men. Yep. And then what? And then he, with his new capital in Jerusalem, surrounded by an army, wants to do the right thing mm. by bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. Because it's in, been out. In Kiriath-Jerim. It's been out in the wilderness for a while okay. now. Was it in the tabernacle at this point? No, it's in Kiriath-Jerim, okay. which is separate from Gibeon, which is where, where the tabernacle, the, the tabernacle was. was. Okay. So the, which is interesting. The yeah. Ark and the tabernacle were not always in the same place, yeah. right? And they, so they when, were supposed to be, or no? Do it's, you know? it's a, I'm not quite sure. Okay. There was a place for it in the tabernacle. There was a place for the tabernacle. But, it, but the, God even commanded sometimes to be taken out and go ahead of, the, of an army here or there. If so. you remember okay. from First Samuel, uh, it was the ark was actually stolen by the Philistines. Oh, is this the, and, the rats and tumors? The rats and tumors <laughs> thing. It gets stolen and it ends yeah. up getting placed there until it can be, I think, reunited with the tabernacle. Okay. So we're kind of in that space. Gotcha. What does it mean for the ark of the covenant? to not be where David's about to take it, for it not to be in the capital city. Right. Like, why is that Why is that significant, and why go on this tumultuous sojourn to, to bring it back? Because the Ark is a symbol not only of God's presence, mm. but it's also the place where worship is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. This is the place where priests are supposed to gather, and the priests are supposed to be singing to God and offering pro- prophecies through their songs yeah. to the king and to the ruler. The Ark represents the center of God's guidance. Yeah, it's uh, that's, his, the footstool of his throne. That's right. That's where, that's where the, he rules from. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. So to have, and David understands that he's the king of the people of God and God is the true king of this nation. So it's got to be where he is. So the throne has to come to the capital. If mm. God's the true king of Israel, then the throne's got to come to the capital city. Right. Right? Yes. His throne has to come to the capital you city. You have to move the president to the seat of power. That's right. Like, the president lives in the White House. Yes. And since David's not going to go out and live in a field with a, with the Ark, he's going to bring the Ark to him. That's right. It's a mobile White House. That's right. <laughs> uh, so he brings, and that's why he's bringing it to him, and that's also where he's going to receive direction from God. Okay. Listen to my guidance. I'm the king of this nation. You're my prince, David. Yeah. Another way, that, it's another way to say it. Now execute my commands faithfully. Yeah. I have so many questions. Okay, go for it. I don't know if they're helpful. Well, (laughs) then let let me continue the story. Okay. So David wants to do this. He wants to bring the ark. Yep. But there's a problem. Okay. Ooh, rising tension. Rising tension. He treats the ark like he treats his military campaigns. Oh, Oh, what do you mean by that? He has been on like a victory march for a long time now. Yeah. He's been gathering men of military um, prowess been to himself. Amassing an he's army. been gaining capital cities. He's been a- enacting victories. Yeah. And he's like, okay, let's get the king's throne into the temple. Right. He sends his soldiers to pick up the ark. Okay. And if he would have read his Torah a little bit closer, he would have known that only Levites yeah. are actually allowed to function around and use and carry and touch. Right the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, there's some prohibitory tales. Right. And so as they're bringing this Ark to mm. Jerusalem, one of his men touches the Ark and he immediately dies. Right. Because he's inappropriately approaching mm-hmm. God's throne. David has made a, his, his first failure in his mm. reign is he's inappropriately reacting and treating 
God, the center of God's right. power. He didn't listen to God's guidance. That's right. In the Torah. That's right. Okay. That's right. So that's why he, he doesn't do it yeah. right. So he doesn't listen to God's voice and mm -hmm. there's death and failure. That's right. I got it. He So he puts the ark aside for a moment. Yep. And he does what he was supposed to do the first time. Talk to God. He talks to God. Okay. He listens to the Torah and he builds a bureaucracy of Levites. Okay. In order for them to properly ca take care of the ark. How does he do that? So he goes and he consults the records of Levites. Oh. He calls all the, the, the Levites who are supposed to be in charge of the temple. Mm -hmm. He commissions them to take care of the ark. Yep. And he calls them to bring the ark from its resting place into Jerusalem the right way. Okay. So he learns from his mistake. Yep. God corrects him. He asks for forgiveness. He yes. listens to the law of the Lord. Mm -hmm. He sends the Levites out to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Israel. And by the end of chapter uh, 16, the Ark is in the temple, surrounded by priestly singers. And David, he commissions, he anoints, he makes official the chief songwriter, the chief prophet, the oh. chief musician, Asaph. Yeah. Oh, from the Psalms. From the Psalms. <laughs> uh, to preside over the prophetic singers and to guide okay. uh, all the musicians in Israel yes. to sing. Uh, so that way his failure to listen to God's voice may never happen again. That's hopefully. exactly right. He'll be surrounded by the prophetic songs of God's guidance. That's right. Okay, that makes sense. And there, we have even two psalms that were written for that occasion. Oh, uh, cool. Psalm 95 and Psalm... Oh, 96 and 105. 96 and 105. Uh, were written for this occasion when the ark first comes into Jerusalem. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. One observation. Okay. Tell me if it's important. It's strange. Now, it's not strange in the flow of events. If I'm, if I just have my think about it chronologically, don't worry about it hat on. Okay. Then it's not going to be a problem, uh, or I wouldn't notice it. But having my like, this history is communicating something. Yes. Uh, it's communicating theology. I, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. It's interesting that the ideal Davidic king, David himself, mm -hmm. that people are supposed to emulate and follow and if he gets on the throne everything is is good yeah and yet it his rise to power doesn't end when he solidifies the kingdoms under himself and establishes a capital and builds an army and has successful military campaigns mm -hmm. something's still missing yeah god's throne yeah. is missing he hasn't centralized the god's throne his priesthood yet right That's right and it's like there's this um this longing, it just seems, that the Davidic king has for the real king to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering there if there's like that messianic Oh, bridge. even in the hope of uh, right. having the ark in, in yes. Jerusalem. It's that like is in and of itself. Drawing out that story. Jesus. And it's like, look, mm. we are like David, searching for a king, needing, mm -hmm. needing to put him on the throne. But that's not the end of the story. We're going to need, you, yeah. you know, God himself to come and take the yeah. throne because and you have this like God, man, king hybrid thing. Mm. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. How that, that is kind interesting. Of I haven't thought Jesus. about that. Anyway, um, let's put a pin in that and come back mm. to that in a little bit. Pin. So David brings the ark into he sets up a priestly bureaucracy like he should have the first time. Why start. do you say bureaucracy? Um, because I don't know another way to talk about hundreds and hundreds of people being given specific jobs uh. and hierarchical systems of who reports to, t 
to who okay. within a system. So that's happening. That's happening. So what David's doing is he's not just saying, okay, we need some priests. Right. Let me grab the first 10. Uh-huh. He's saying, no, here's 500 men who have been qualified. Mm. Let me give them a hierarchy of who reports to who. Mm. You guys are in charge of the music. You guys are in charge of the offerings. You guys are in charge of the singing. You guys are the ones who are going to guard all these in case anybody tries to attack us on the road. Okay. And let's go. Okay. So he's not just doing a couple of random actions he's building an organization right uh, a levitical organization that can handle the institutionalization of god's presence in jerusalem he's Mm -hmm. not just doing good things Mm -hmm. he's building a government okay and he's building a priestly organizational bureaucracy in order to handle what will soon become thousands upon thousands of sacrifices for right. millions of people to come and worship and ask for God's guidance in Jerusalem. He can't just have eight guys to go and bring That's the, right. the ark. He needs to build a system of governance right. and a system of priesthood so that it can handle the sins of an entire nation. Right. right? Cause the, yeah, because and the point there isn't like leadership parable. No. Make sure your systems are organized. And it's the, the point is that David is taking seriously Yes. The need of what the priesthood accomplishes. That's right. Which is we need we need a group of singers doing prophecy and they need a head singer in order to organize it all so mm-hmm. that it all happens. Oh, yeah. we need to take the forgiveness of sin seriously. And so in order to do that, we have to be able to yeah. facilitate forgiveness through sacrifices for a whole nation. For a king of David to center Israel around the priesthood mm-hmm. isn't just symbolic gestures or even teaching moments. Yeah. It's actually building... A real an infrastructure on the yeah. that can uh, that can handle that <sighs> totally. So that's what he's doing. That's why I say bureaucracy. Yeah, I know it's really helpful. I just didn't know why that. Yeah. why that word. That's really cool. Okay, so he has his yes priestly bureaucracy. bureaucracy. I tried in that moment uh, to think of a different uh, word. Uh, they're, yeah, uh, they're they're singing. Yep. The that's all it. bureaucracies uh, do. All, bu- <laughs> all good bureaucrats sing. Um, and then David leaves them all. And you know where he goes? I do not know. He goes to Gibeon where the tabernacle is. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And he starts offering sacrifices, thanking God for what he's done Okay. in Jerusalem. That is strange. Yeah, isn't that this interesting? Br- so this is one of the questions I had that when you okay. were like, do you have any questions? I was like, I don't know if they're helpful. Yes. This is the question I had is what is the tabernacle without the ark? Ah, what is a sacrifice without the place to sprinkle it? Right. I, I was that was just like this right. is weird. Yeah. And I'm like, are they even obeying Torah in this moment? I think so. What happens next okay. after he goes and offers sacrifices is the very next thing he does. He comes back to Jerusalem, and he um, goes to his prophet, head prophet Nathan. Okay. And he says, "I want to build a house for God." Oh, okay. In Jerusalem. So okay. with the ark, yeah. So his first instinct after bringing the ark is, let's get the tabernacle here Man. too. I mean, can't you just picture that inner monologue <laughs> of like walking to the tabernacle after having this crazy experience with the ark? Yeah, making sacrifices there, and then walking back and being like, these two things are supposed to be together. That's right, and they need to be right next to the center of jerusalem's power israel's power yeah because it, it's god's throne that's right man that is cool okay and again it's it's proving the main point he is mm. centralizing the functions of the priesthood yes in jerusalem or like for israel mm-hmm. the sacrificial system the presence of god the authority of god's all coming together in one spot he's building the right type of kingdom yeah um, and what's really interesting though is when he tells nathan this that he wants to build god a house he kind of says it like as if he feels guilty. 
Oh, right, because isn't he like, I'm living in like a, a walled palace. He says, I dwell in a house of cedar, but yeah. the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Um, and then yeah. Nathan says, well, do everything that's in your heart. I'm sure your, your motives are right. Right. But God responds and he tells David, like, you know, I never asked to have a temple of cedar. Uh, like if I would have wanted that from you, I would have told you. Right. Uh, you don't need to feel guilty for having a better palace than me because I've never asked you to build a better palace. Yeah, the whole world is my palace. The whole world is my palace. Yeah. That's exactly right. But he does honor David's impulse for mm -hmm. wanting to centralize the function of the priesthood in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Right. He's like, it's good that you wanted to do this thing. And yeah. in fact, I'm going to let your son build it for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't because you're a man of war. We talked about this already. Yep. Um, but more than that, the big thing that happens in this moment is that God honors David's desire to centralize mm. the priesthood in Israel by saying, you don't have to build me a house. I'm going to build up your house. Mm -hmm. And he promises David that his dynasty will rule forever, mm. that his house, his lineage will be the one that rules Israel, God's people for all time. And his son will be the way in which the world is saved yeah. functionally. And that's, yeah. and it's that in that context that he's finally says, and your son will be the one to build the house you want to build. Right. Yeah. And so it's, um, a house that wants to center everything on God's house mm -hmm. is the house that God will let last forever. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, that's right. Okay, so it seems like David has been consolidating, right? Okay. That's 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 the theme I'm picking up. That's here, right. That's is right. Is he's like, let me consolidate power. Mm -hmm. or, or first no, let me consolidate um the the center of authority in Jerusalem. Let mm -hmm. me consolidate the scattered tribes. Let me consolidate um mm -hmm. some peace through our enemies. We're going to have mm -hmm. some military victory. Mm -hmm. Let me consolidate the artifacts of our faith with the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle yep. and get all that. And then there's going to be this permanent consolidation yeah. in the house of God next to the King of God that will reign forever. Uh, that's and that's right. like what he's doing. Okay. Yeah. Is, is that like what we should be thinking is it just feels like this mm -hmm. sucking in that's right of everything into this Davidic mm -hmm. temple epicenter of right. Israel. The main point the Chronicler wants to make is that when a king mm -hmm. of David centralizes his Israel around the priesthood, yep. it experiences rest, victory, and prosperity. Okay. So then if that's true, mm -hmm. after this happens mm -hmm. and, and David's, you know, got God being like, Hey, your heart's good. I'm glad you want to build yeah. me a house. You're consolidating everything. You've centralized it around the priest. The next thing I should expect is some peace or something. He, he experiences victory after victory after okay. victory over enemies that are threatening Israel's sovereignty. Okay. So you have all these other nations who are threatening to attack Israel. David is victorious over all of them. Yes. So once the nation is centralized around the priesthood mm -hmm. through uh, King of David. Yep peace starts to go out yeah. around the, the land. Okay, And significantly during some of these battles, it's like God's up to something that shouldn't, like impossible things start happening when mm. David goes to war. God is acting on his own. And soon enough, nations start bowing to David mm. without ever going to war to him. It's oh, like, wow. oh, I don't want to fight you anymore. So we're just, we're at peace now. We'll kiss <laughs> yeah, the ring. We'll kiss the ring. Yeah. And they, so that idea of like peace coming yes. is happening. Right. 
through the military victories provided for by God. Yes. And not just peace in Israel, peace outside of Israel. That's right. Okay. That's right. Very good. Uh, so we kind of have a whole bunch of victories. Yeah. End up happening. Yeah. Big deal. Um, and at the end of this series of victories, David does something that breaks the chronicler's mold. Oh, the ideal paradigm. The ideal paradigm. Of listen of, to God and you'll win. That's right. Okay. He does something against God's voice. He takes a census of all of his warriors. Mm. And is the idea that he does that, it's an uncommissioned census. God didn't tell him to do this. Mm -hmm. Is the idea, I can't remember, is it like that he did it out of pride? Like yeah, that he yeah. wanted to know how big his kingdom was, that he might have wanted to do it for like like bad taxation reasons? Um, the Maybe, yeah. all those things. I think the thing that Chronicles would want us to think more closely about is... What would knowing the exact number of your military men allow you to do on your own? Build uh, uh, the biggest army that you can? Maybe, well, you, you already have the army, so you're oh, counting okay. the army. My, my thought here is that if I know exactly how many military forces I have, right. I can start making plans right. without asking God's advice. That's right, because I have all the information. I have all the information I need. I don't need to ask God what's feasible or how many uh. men need to go to war. I can start making calculations on my own. I see. So the census was a way for David to potentially start weaning himself off of depending on God's guidance. I think that's probably the way the chronicler would have you think about it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. And God takes it very seriously. Yeah. This is a gross injustice mm. on David's part. Yeah. And God, um, in we're told, in his wrath comes to punish David. He gives David the option of experiencing either three years of famine three months of devastation from their political enemies or three days of the sword of the Lord, which he describes as pestilence or plagues. Whoa. David responds by saying, I would rather throw myself on your sword, God, than the sword of my enemies. Hmm. So attack us for three days. I see. Right. Um, because yeah, everything else was more external. That's right. Okay. That's right. He's like, I would rather like yeah. Trust you for three days, my enemies for three months. If someone's going to have a sword against me, I'd want it to be the Lord. Uh, that's right. Okay. That's that's right. <laughs> Golly, that's a. I could stay there forever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I need to like, camp out there. Oh goodness. Um, okay. We might so, have to come back to that. So through that, seventy thousand people in Israel die. Oh be my goodness. Because of David's failure. And and that would have looked like a plague. Yeah. A set a pestilence. Yeah. Um, and then after 70,000 people die, um, God sends that angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. We talked about in the last episode. Yeah, yes. to Jerusalem. So here, here he comes with his sword. Mm -hmm. And as he's on the way to Jerusalem, the Lord saw, we're told, and he relented. And are we supposed to be getting like Passover vibes here? Because you have a series of plagues finished by the visit of an angel of death. Um, and then there's forgiveness and passing over. I actually haven't thought about I'm that. I'm like, that is um, like a new Exodus I have in. not thought about that. That's really interesting. One of the echoes um, of Exodus. Uh, what is interesting mm. is on that idea, if we are seeing Passover parallels here, yeah. um, and the first enemy that Israel kind of comes up against after Solomon's rise yeah. uh, comes from Egypt. Ah, so we have kind of a, a reversal of what happened in the Passover where Egypt is now attacked. Or I guess it's the same thing, but Egypt is involved in the yeah, next yeah, story. Yeah. I mean, that, um, I mean so, if, if, if Solomon's the top of the, the chiasm and you have yes. this like 
Exodus event and then this Egyptian yes. slavery event kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Those do talk to each other. That's cool. So God tells this angel. Or it's really Lord sad. It's not cool. Yes. Sorry. It's cool literarily. <laughs> it's devastating historically. So God has, sends this angel of the Lord over yes. Israel, giant sword in his hand, but tells him to stop. Yeah. David sees this giant angel of the Lord over Jerusalem <sighs> and rides out to him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And he meets him on this threshing floor, this mm -hmm. farmer's land. Which oh, I forgot to tell you this what? point. The last time David failed mm -hmm. uh, around the ark, the ark oh, covenant, yes, right? That man that died, mm -hmm. he died at another threshing floor. Oh. So he died in, in another farmer's land. Okay. Um, and so another failure is being is happening at another farmer's land. Uh huh. Or actually, in this case. Uh, the failure is being resolved on another farmer's right, land. Right, but David thinks he's probably going there to die. The blood was on his hands from that guy that he sent to the Ark of the Covenant, and he's going now to another farmer's land mm -hmm. to lay down his own life That's right. to pay for and substitute, sacrifice yeah. himself for his, Israel, and maybe even this other soldier who died because of his order. That's right. We talked about this in the last episode a little bit more explicitly, but this is where David, seeing the consequences of his own sin mm -hmm. rushes out to meet the agent of God's wrath yeah. and says, it's not my men's fault. It's not Jerusalem's fault that we're under your wrath. It's mine. So mm -hmm. kill me. If you're going to kill anybody, kill me instead. Oh my gosh. And then what's crazy is, is the angel commands David to build an altar right there. That is a little crazy. Right. Since you're not supposed to, wait, an altar for sacrifice? An altar for sacrifice. I mean, yeah, you're not supposed to sacrifice well, outside the temple, right? You're not supposed to sacrifice outside the place God names. Oh, loophole. Oh, loophole. <laughs> uh, so God tells him to build an altar right there in this farmer's field. Yeah. Uh, David goes, buys the field, builds the altar, uh, sacrifices, and then the angel of the Lord sheaths his sword. He responds to the act of self-sacrifice of Israel's leader, gives mercy to the entire nation because of one man's sacrifice. And we're told that this failure establishes the grounds for the new temple. On the place of David's self-sacrifice is where the new God's temple will be built. And God tells him explicitly, you said you want to build a temple. This is where you're going to do it. I, um, it's, <laughs> too, it's too much. It's just too much. Okay, can we just unpack this yes, for a moment? Yes, please, please. The, and we've talked about a lot, but yeah. let's just stay in this story because I'm like, there's like 90,000 threads that are being pulled on. But you, you do, okay, so you have this idea that the angel of the Lord, the instrument of the Lord's wrath is coming towards his people and God's king from the line of David, the David founding himself, father of Israel, right, yes. goes and substitutes himself mm -hmm. at the place that will become the temple. That's right. And the Lord... And the offers a sacrifice, mm -hmm. and the Lord's wrath is averted. That's right. I mean, it's like there's so many little things in there I want to pick up, but that's that uh, is the story of is, the gospel. That is. And let's like, can I pull another thread? Yeah, add a yeah, thread. Yeah, yeah. Add a layer. Add an onion skin. Yes. Um, Don't make me cry. Uh, uh, <laughs> the uh, we're told in when Solomon finally builds the temple on yeah, this place. On that place. Yep. We're told that it's actually he's building it on top of Mount Moriah. Right. Which is the same place that another founding father of Israel, Abraham, mm -hmm. uh, was going to make a sacrifice, but God stopped him from making a sacrifice by providing another one instead. Right. And so now twice on Mount Moriah, mm -hmm. God has provided 
a means for Israel to be saved other than the death of one of Israel's sons. And that will be the place where people come with their sin. That's right. To offer sacrifices at the temple and, and, be, forgiven. and be forgiven. That's right. Okay. I'm having a chicken or the egg moment here. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Which one came first? Okay. <laughs> the sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and like, do we define what's happening there uh-huh. by the laws in Leviticus and okay. let atonement yes. just exist inside of how okay. it's described in Leviticus? Or is now the story reinterpreting what God commanded the sacrificial system to accomplish? Or is it giving us its base definition? Like the founding story of mm-hmm. the temple sacrifices yes. is substitution. I understand. And and yet the for Leviticus, you know, the tabernacle, it was a lot about the purity of the land. Mm-hmm. And I know like atonement theory and arguments yeah, yeah, yeah. fly, but it's like those two aren't afraid to just talk to each other no. and sync up. So I'm just no. like, this story is just like atonement theories colliding. Yeah. And it, I kind of just love it. I love it. It's too. just a super nerdy I love it route too. here. I, I mean, at the very least, God intends for his people to build their lives, their nations around forgiveness mm. and sacrifice. Drill in there. Okay. <laughs> because that's that's the thing that I think gets can get missed. Yeah. In atonement especially when it comes to the mechanics of it. Okay. And the, the temple, yeah. the tabernacle, the yeah, sacrifices, yeah, yeah. the lambs. What's like, happening? Yeah. Oh my gosh, like what's going on here? And it's like this at base is what's going on here is God wants to center his people around his forgiving heart. That's right. That's exactly right. right. And the way he accomplishes forgiveness is through self-substitution. That's right. And it's like, that's what he does through Jesus. That's is, right. He's like, can I show you my people how much I want to forgive you, how much I love you. Yeah. I'm going to come and sacrifice myself. Yeah. Except I'm not going to let the angel put the sword back in its sheath. Yeah. I I keep thinking about the way that God refuses Mm. for fathers or sons. Right. To take the blame for something that he was going to do in the future. That's right. He makes Abraham sheath his sword. Yep. He makes the angel of the Lord sheath his sword against David. Yeah. But, but Jesus, because he was yeah. waiting right. to be a sacrifice on his own right. to save his people. Yeah. No, none of them ever had to say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Right. Only Jesus had to say yeah. that. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting to think about the way that that's what David does at the beginning of this curse. He says, mm. I commit myself to your hand, Lord. Right. I would rather suffer at your hand. He doesn't say that, does he? Does he, he use uh, those words? Because uh, that not, would be ridiculous. Not those exact okay. words, but he <laughs> like, does say, just... yeah, he says this. He says, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is very great. I mean. I mean, it's pretty close. Is Jesus picking up on that on I, the cross? I mean, Fall, God, I'm falling into your hands, mm-hmm. trusting you for mercy on the, other, on the other side of this death. I mean, that's ridiculous. Pretty, that's pretty amazing. Jesus is proving that he's a true son of David, mm-hmm. ruling yeah. his people. Well, and he's proving the heart of God. Yes. That whether in life or through death, God's heart is to forgive. Yeah. And he'll do that through, even if he has to substitute himself yeah. for yeah. you. Um, <sighs> yeah. And okay. I And I keep thinking like, on, there's like a whole bunch of personal good news here. Mm. But I'm also just thinking about what does it really mean to build a kingdom, a nation, a country yeah. around forgiveness? Right. That's its central tenet. 
is forgiveness and self-sacrifice. Right. What is like yeah. a country built around those things look like? I know what it doesn't look like. Uh, I know what it doesn't look like, <laughs> yeah. but I know where I get the best picture of that hmm. in the church. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, like that is an institution. It's not an individual thing, That's right. but this is, that is a nation, a kingdom, yeah. an alternate kingdom, not of this world where the, our founding document talks about the forgiveness of sins yes. and the necessity of sacrificing for others. Right. And the, when the yeah. primary example being Jesus. Right. And we gather together every week in a building. Right. Not a temple, but a building. We are temples, but you know. Or a tent to, or a Or a tent and we are field and we yeah. reorient, we recenter our lives around those two things. And then we go out into the world. Mm -hmm. As priests. As priests to do that same thing all over mm -hmm. again. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating when you think about... Um, the way Jesus taught about how his church should operate. And it's really, now, now that you've used the, the word bureaucracy, yeah, it's one of the most bureaucratic texts in Jesus's teaching, which is where he's talking, I think it's to Peter, about how many times he should forgive his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's rules about excommunication, and mm -hmm. there's rules about how many witnesses do you need, and mm -hmm. there's all this stuff about how the church should operate when people sin within it. Yeah. And he says, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he he's basically says infinitely. Yeah. You know, this forgive is... him perfection times perfection, 70 times yeah. seven. And it's like the church is supposed to be built on mm -hmm. endless forgiveness. Yeah. For those who would throw themselves upon the mercy of the Lord and commit mm -hmm. their spirit into his hands. Yeah. And I think I, I want to keep using the words institution, mm. bureaucracy, because what happens after this moment uh, David knows where the temple should be built. Yeah. He knows his son will build it. He knows the kingdom should be centered around the priesthood, the place of self-sacrifice, and the place of forgiveness, and the place of listening to God's voice. But he's not allowed to build that place. Mm. So what he does instead is he builds a nation. Mm. He charters an institution. In the next several chapters are lists of thousands and thousands of court officials, musicians, treasurers, diplomats. He builds a government in right. the next several chapters for his son to inherit. Mm. And the idea here is that David is doing what a good king should do. He should build a government that focuses in on, centers around, builds an institution around the forgiveness of God and uh the the voice of god yeah and he's doing the best he can knowing the information that he has and mm. knowing what god has limited him to, to do i'm struggling okay seeing the like the thread of building a kingdom focused around the priesthood mm -hmm. in what you just said in okay the, in the building of court officials and everything. yes it made a ton of sense with the levite bureaucracy mm -hmm. the, the priest yep. bureaucracy what's happening in this um, next Another probably well, trippy up section that people will find boring. I, I should I should reiterate, every bureaucratic moment in the next several chapters yeah. is all about the Levites. Oh, okay. Everything he does after this point yes. is to prepare for the successful operation of a completed temple. Okay. So yeah, he yes. wasn't building the parks and recreation department. No, okay. no, he's, he's not. He's organizing Levites by the tens of thousands. He's dividing... Uh, priests oh, oh, yeah, according okay. to 24 different divisions and subdivisions he's dividing the musicians according to 24 different divisions he's marking and uh what it appointing yeah. uh, cabinet members treasury accountants he's building his son an entire bureaucracy and an institution that's focused around the priests that's focused around the t the priests i see 
Uh, the last thing he does do, so he does all this mm -hmm. as he should. And that was like what, like 24 through 27? To 20, uh, 26, basically. Okay, 26. 27 is another, um, it's more bureaucracy, but it's military bureaucracy. Okay. He builds a military complex Got it. in order to protect the temple. Right. That's what the, the kingdom is supposed to do. And at some point, some nation's going to attack and we should stand ready mm -hmm. to listen to God's voice and how we should uh, we should do that. We're not going to be unwise and have no military in case we need it. Sure. We're, we're living in a fallen world. I don't know. I'm maybe overinterpreting, but <laughs> he's doing something good in this moment. Okay. He this is, is somehow different than the last census. Yes. Okay. Um, and it's really, yeah. Yeah. Somehow different than the last okay. census. And remember, going back all the way to the, the genealogy, you had the... On the outside, you had the kings, yes. the tribe of Judah and the right. tribe of Benjamin, the kingly tribes. And on the inside of them is the rest of the tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. And then the inside of that, you have the priests. Right. And right? it was the whole nation and political complex right. surrounding the priests as they surround the temple. Right. So the king's job is to protect the temple. Yep. But the king's job is also to protect the people. Yep. And the people's job is also to protect the temple. And so it's interesting. And in this military list is an accounting for all the tribes of Israel. It's an accounting of everybody's combined responsibility mm -hmm. to protect the institution of the temple. Okay. Does that make sense? It does make sense. This is where I start to be like, why does this matter to the first, how would this matter to the first recipient? I understand. Is like, what? Okay, cool. That, right. that, that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the point of a lot of the other censuses mm -hmm, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But for this, like when... Uh, when a, when a Jew returning from exile and rebuilding the temple, questioning okay. the line of David, questioning the legitimacy of the temple, what is this doing for them? David does all this. Mm -hmm. Tens and tens of thousands of people. He also collects all the building materials for the temple. Okay. So uh, millions of pounds of precious metals. Right. Uh, like we're told multiple times, we can't measure how much there is. Uh, there's just, he builds all the stones, gathers the gold, gathers the jewels. He's like preparing for his son to do better than him. So Solomon didn't have to do any of this gathering? None of it. Oh my goodness. His father did it all for him. Okay. And if you're on the beginning stages yeah. of rebuilding your country, you're going to be preparing for a generation after you. Oh yeah. You are going to be handing off your nation to people less experienced um, and perhaps less equipped than you right. to do the will of God. Right. So for this first generation, what do they need to be like? They need to be like David, who's preparing in advance mm. for the future success of God's priesthood and the future success of God's Davidic king. Mm -hmm. And so what does that look like? Boots in the ground? Yeah. Bureaucracy. It looks boots yeah. in the ground. Like make sure you have uh, generals and ambassadors mm. and diplomats and heads of state and cabinet members. Make sure you have uh, the names of those who are allocated by the Torah to be musicians Make sure they're the same people. Yeah. Make sure that line of descent is yeah. correct. I think I'm following. And it's like, I let me take a stab. Yeah. Because I'm remembering Ezra Nehemiah, you okay. know, and the king allows them to come back from exile and even equips them to rebuild the temple. Mm -hmm. And, but the, the showing of returning exiles is meek. Not right. many people go back. Yeah. And they get there, they try to scrounge together some Levites and they get mm -hmm. enough to accomplish something. Yeah. But the temple's weak. There's no king on the throne. There's no throne for a king to be on. Yeah. They get a governor. And a lot of people aren't even returning from exile. 
And it's like you have this galvanization mm -hmm. under David's reign of resources, people, organization. It's this sucking yeah. in again yeah, yeah, that's yeah. happening. And I could see this story being a clarion call to those still in exile or those timidly returning or those lackadaisically waiting in Israel mm -hmm. about the need to rebuild Israel. Right. To rebuild the nation. Right. And not just Israel matters. Yes. Right? Like yes. it matters yes. as an as a nation state in the world mm -hmm. because it's where God's king is going to reign. It, yeah. You know, it's, he's gonna come from there. He's going to um, execute justice from there. Yeah. And they need to be about its rebuilding. That's right. I could see that as like a kick in the pants. That's exactly what it's supposed yeah. to be because after all this stuff happens, yeah. Solomon is given the kingdom. He's crowned king. And mm -hmm. we get nine chapters of description of what his reign looked like. Okay. And this is supposed to be the high point of the whole book. Mm. If you nation builders or like your first founding father who built a nation, look what's possible when you have a Davidic king who's focused on the priesthood making sure that God's nation is built around forgiveness and listen to his voice. Here's what it could look like. And then he offers up Solomon as an example. Wow. Okay. Um, we're going to have to land the plane here. Okay. And then I guess we'll have to talk about Solomon Great. next. But one last thing, although yeah. there were, there's a ton, I think that we could pull on from the life of David. I mean, I'm thinking like, obviously Jesus says that he never did anything without listening to the, the, the voice of his That's father. Right. And he perfectly led a kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, he is the the king of David who says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Why? Because I'm here. Yeah. You know, and so it's, man, there's so much to pull on there. Um, he galvanizes 12 disciples. Yeah. He gathers them around himself. That's right. Uh, and, and takes them goes, to Jerusalem. Yeah. And he goes <laughs> on a healing conquest yes oh yes yes instead of defeating armies he defeats sickness and That's leprosy right. and demons and right. they flee from from the 12 disciples yeah. it's amazing how jesus's life maps on to david's ascension in chronicles that's right yeah he's anointed right by john the baptist mm -hmm. right and then he uh he then he goes out on his campaign to start healing people he gathers right. 12 disciples yeah. takes them to jerusalem he even goes and stands in the temple itself and shows that he's the new place where mm -hmm. forgiveness of sins will mm -hmm. come from yeah uh and then he commits himself to god's hands on the cross yeah and yeah, then yeah, yeah. Raises, the <laughs> raises a whole kingdom of priests to rule mm -hmm. and then this is the thing that we get to now is we are solomon and jesus is david Jesus earned an entire kingdom for us, mm -hmm. built it, paid for it, yep. brought it to us, organized it, yep. and then said, here you go, my son, right. rule and reign yes. on my behalf. Yes. And I think, and this is me being maybe weirder than I should be, <laughs> the good news of bureaucracy <laughs> okay, yeah, um, right. is the good news of a church. Because mm. the church doesn't exist without leadership. Right. Elders, teachers, yeah. prophets, apostles, like right. a church is built up of a whole bunch of moving parts that need organization. Mm -hmm. And we're also told that the global church also has a structure. It's called the body of Christ. Right. So limbs, fingers, all under legs, the head of Christ. All under the head of Christ. Like God has saved us in Jesus mm. to build a new organism, yeah. a new kingdom, a new bureaucracy. That does what? That centers itself around the forgiveness of God, his own self-sacrifice for the good and peace of the nations. Yeah. And that's what we do in church, not mm -hmm. just as individuals, which is sure, true enough, 
but like we are saved to do this as an entity mm. like a moving force in the world a right. kingdom yeah. that's not of this world an alternate kingdom yes no i think it's so good to say it another way because uh, i think you're absolutely right i think to say it another way is people should look at the organization of the church right mm -hmm. and it yes. doesn't matter what we're talking about here talk right. about global talk about it local talk yes. about it eastern orthodox uh protestant evangelical roman well, catholic like you should whoever it is any any jesus followers that are collected together mm -hmm. right yes the the world should look at that and go that's a different kingdom that's right it's organized different it's operating different it's built around something different that's right what is it they're listening to the voice of god mm -hmm. so they're acting differently in the world and that looks mm -hmm. that looks strange just bringing peace to our neighborhood that's right uh and they're just their modus operandi is forgiveness yeah we hold on to loans and debts and mm -hmm. you have a criminal record and mm -hmm. we operate on unforgiveness yeah government yeah, yeah. operates on unforgiveness like yeah. taxes and like everything <laughs> right. is debt and owe. yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and what is going on they're not they don't owe the church money but they give freely mm -hmm. right like right they're not being paid by the church but they work there Mm -hmm. Like these volunteers, what are they doing? What is this place? They're all priests sacrificing themselves for the sake right. of the Right, they're living sacrifices, and it's this weird counter kingdom mm -hmm. that we inherited from the final king of David. Yeah, and in the same hope that like Solomon's kingdom might last forever, mm -hmm. David's son would last forever, like that kingdom would last forever. And yep. that was the hope that they, God promised David. The church will last forever. Yes, the gates of hell will not prevail against There's the only one unstoppable institution in the world, and yep. it's the church. That's right. Okay, well, that was David. That was David. Yeah, and that took us through the end of, of First Chronicles. That's right. Yeah. So, so next time we'll start with the idealized reign of King Solomon and then maybe some examples from the rest of the book of Chronicles. Amazing. Can't wait. Thank you guys for joining us in this walkthrough of Chronicles. It's been awesome. We can't wait to see you next time. So we'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.